Vishnupad Paramhamsa Parivraja Gacharja Ashtotsada Shishimad AC Bhaktivaranta Swami Srila Prabhupada Ki Jai Anantakota Vaishnava Vrindaki Jai All glories to the assembled devotees All glories to the assembled devotees All glories to the assembled devotees All glories All glories to Shishu Guru and Gauranga All glories to Srila Prabhupada Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Ajnana Tibarandasya Janajana Shalakaya Chakshur Ulmilitam Jaina Tasmai Shri Guru Namaha I was born in the darkest ignorance, and my spiritual master opened my eyes with the torch of knowledge. I offer my respectful obeisances unto him. Shri Chaitanya Vanubhistam Stapitam Janabutale Swayam Rupakadamayam Tadatit Swapadandikam When will Srila Rupa Goswami Prabhupada, who was established within this material world, 
the mission to fulfill the desire of Lord Chaitanya, give me shelter under his lotus feet. Vancha kalpa tarubhyascha kripa sindubhyevacha patitanam pavanebhyo vaishnavebhyo namo namaha. I offer my respectful obeisances unto the Vaishnav devotees of the Lord. They are just like desire trees and can fulfill the desires of everyone, and they are full of compassion for the fallen conditioned souls. Jai Shri Krishna Chaitanya Prabhu Nityananda Shri Advaita Gadadhar Shri Vasadi Gaurabhaktarinda I offer my respectful obeisances unto Shri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, Lord Nityananda, Shri Advaita, Gadadhar Pandit, Shri Vastakur, and all the devotees of Lord Chaitanya. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. I pray that Shri Shri Radha Kalachanji, Shri La Prabhupada, and Shri La Gurudev use me as an instrument so that their message can flow through me to give me the words to serve the Vaishnavas listening. Today is Tuesday, October 26th, 2021. I am Jay Shri Rade, and we are reading from Srimad Bhagavatam, Canto 1, Creation, Chapter 10, Departure of Lord Krishna from Dwarka, for Dwarka, Text 29. Yavirya Sulkena Hitaswayam Vare from Pramatya Chaida Pramukhan Hisushmina Pradumnya Sambamba Sutadhayopara Yashtarta Bhauma Vada Sahasrasa Yavirya Sulkena Rita Swayam Vare Pramatya Chaida Pramukhani Susmina Radumnya Sabamba Sutadayopara Yaschartas Bauma Vada Sahasrasa Ya, the lady, Vidya, prowess, Sulkena, by payment of the price. Rita, taken away by force. Swayamvare, in the open selection of the bridegroom. Pramatya, harassing. Jaidya, King Shushupal. Pramukhan, headed by. He, positively. Shushmina, all very powerful. Pradumnya, Pradumnya, Krishna's son. Samba, Samba, Amba, Amba, 
Sita Adhaya, children, Apara, other ladies, Ya, those, Sha, also, Ritya, similarly brought, Bhaumavade, after killing kings, Sahasrasa, by the thousands. Translation and purport by His Divine Grace, A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami Srila Prabhupada. The children of these ladies are Pradumnya, Samba, Amba, etc. Ladies like Rukmini, Satyabhama, and Jambavati were forcibly taken away by him from their Swayamvara ceremonies after he defeated many powerful kings headed by Shushupal. And other ladies were also forcibly taken away by him after he killed Baum Asura and thousands of his assistants. All these ladies are glorious. Purport. Exceptionally qualified daughters of powerful kings were allowed to make a choice of their own bridegrooms in open competition. And such ceremonies were called Swamvada, or selection of the bridegroom. Because the Swamvada was an open competition between the rival and valiant princes, such princes were invited by the father of the princess, and usually there were regular fights between the invited princely order in a sporting spirit. But it so happened that sometimes the belligerent princes were killed in such marriage fighting, and the victorious prince was offered the trophy princess for whom so many princes died. Rukmini, the principal queen of Lord Krishna, was the daughter of the king of Vidarbha, who wished that his qualified and beautiful daughter to be given away to Lord Krishna. But her eldest brother wanted her to be given away to King Shushupal, who happened to be a cousin of Krishna. So there was open competition, and as usual, Lord Krishna emerged successful. After harassing Shushupal and other princes by his unrivaled prowess, Rukmini had ten sons like Pradumna. There were other queens also taken away by Lord Krishna in a similar way. Full description of this beautiful booty of Lord Krishna will be given in the 10th canto. There were 16,100 beautiful girls who were daughters of many kings and were forcibly stolen by Baum Asura, who kept them captive for his carnal desire. These girls prayed piteously to Lord Krishna for their deliverance, and the merciful Lord, called by their fervent prayer, released them all by fighting and killing Baumasura. All these captive princesses were then accepted by the Lord as his wives, although in the estimation of society they were all fallen girls. The all-powerful Lord Krishna accepted the humble prayers of these girls and married them with the adoration of queens. So altogether, Lord Krishna had 16,108 queens at Dwarka, and each of them he begot ten children. All these children grew up, and each had as many children as the father. The aggregate of the family numbered in the millions. So today's verse really demonstrates the different relationships that we can have with Krishna. So I'll... Um, discuss the different relationships today with, that we can have with Krishna and how we can find our own unique relationship with Krishna. 
So the different relationships we have with Krishna is one in neutrality and on reverence, where God is great. We can have a relationship as a servant. We can have friendship with Krishna. We can have parental love for Krishna. Or we can have conjugal love for Krishna. And we can even have negative relationships towards him, like antagonistic or as his enemy. So when we look at on reverence, on reverence to me is um, it's a it's still considered one of the personal relationships, but it's actually it feels more of like an impersonal relationship because we're in awe and there's almost an element of fear in on reverence. And we're just looking at God is great and we are small and God is like the ocean and we are drops of water in the ocean. Um, he's fire and we're just sparks. So it's this um, really different, like power dynamics are very different there. Um, you know, God is great. So we have this like more of a, just, just kind of like at a distance we're noticing so I can relate it to, you know, if we have a mentor or someone that we look up to, but we've never met, you know, someone that um, we think are pretty good and we follow in their footsteps and we may even, like, think of them, of serving them, but we're like, oh, they're so good, what can I, how can I talk to them? You know, celebrities sometimes hold this kind of status. But even more than celebrities, I think some of our thought leaders, like for me personally, Tony Robbins, has been a big influential person, um, but I don't have a personal relationship with him. As a matter of fact, it's more like, wow, he's awesome and he does a lot of great things, and so I admire him from afar. Um, and so it kind of still leaves me to do what I want to do, right? I can still, I'm more free to behave in the way I want to behave. So when we have this on reverence relationship, and like Krishna's in the temple, and I can see him there, but at home, I do my own thing. You know, I still think God is great, but it's more of a abstract concept. And actually, this is probably one of the most common ways we think of God. Um, it's pervasive in the Bible for Christianity um, to have this on reverence that God is great. Um, and, you know, for us as well, because... In some ways, when we have our material desires to have more of an reverence relationship, it it um, allows a little bit more for that because we just think of you know Krishna as this abstract greatness, and we're so little, so like he's probably not even paying any attention to us, or you know he's doing his thing, he's running the universe, and what's he going to pay attention to me? You know, running my little household. And the other way we think of on reverence is some of his opulences. And last time we discussed some of his opulences, you know, they're extensively described in chapters 7, 9, and 10 of the Bhagavad Gita. But at the end of that, you know, we decide, we discuss that Krishna concludes that in Bhagavad Gita 10, 40, and 41, there is no end to my divine manifestations. What I've spoken to you is but a mere indication of my infinite opulences. Know that all opulent, beautiful, and glorious creations spring spring, but from but a spark of my splendor. So, again, we're seeing how great Krishna is. Like, you know, there's so much worth of on reverence for us. He's deserving in it. Um, 
But there's really no loving intimacy in this on-reverence relationship. It's more of like love from afar. And the next is servant. We can have a relationship of more of a servitude attitude. And um, it's a bit more personal. Um, it's more tangible relationship. Right? We can, uh, we're personally serving someone. We see that relationship. There's a little bit of uh, reciprocation of that love from the person that we're serving. If we think of becoming an intern or assistant for someone we admire, we get personally trained, we serve them, we know we get to know what they like, what they don't like, what sets them off, what makes them happy, right? So we have a little bit more of a personal, intimate relationship with this. And while we think of, when we talk about con, uh, parent parental love, we're talking about the love of a parent for their child. But there's another relationship in there. There's the the love for the child up to the parent, right? And in the verse, we named so many different sons of Krishna and grandchildren of Krishna. Um, so he has, you know, from each wife, he has 10 kids, and he has 16,108 wives. So that means he's got 161,080 kids. And each of these kids had 10 kids. So he has 1,610,800 grandchildren. And each of these children and grandchildren, they look up to Krishna as God the Father. And this is another way that we see, very common way of thinking about Krishna as God the Father. Again, especially in Christianity, God is considered the Father, you know. So when we think of our relationship with the Father, it's more of a servitude relationship. There's respect, admiration, we're doing things for the person, they're teaching us, they're looking after us, they're protecting us. So that relationship is, is kind of mentioned and described in, this, in the purport and in the verse. So next uh, level of intimacy is a friendship. Here there's that sense of familiarity. There's almost a sense of equalness to Krishna, right? If we think about how the cowherd boys, the, gop- the gopas, played with Krishna. You know, they would tease each other and, you know, run around. Just like we see children playing, they would um, play tag, play hide-and-seek, um, massage each other, steal prasadam from each other's plates, feed each other. So there's this really, like, intimate, personal, familiar-type relationship between friends, um, and we can see that in our own friendship. And even as Krishna gets older, his relationship with Arjuna is like a friendship, right? And Arjuna even says in the Bhagavad Gita, like, oh, I didn't realize that you were God, and I treated you just like my friend, my cousin. Please forgive any offenses I may have made in this familiar relationship. But Krishna, you know, he likes that. He likes that reciprocation, you know, of the friendship uh, relationship. So the next level of intimacy is parental. <clears throat> and this is, there's still a little bit of a power differential, but now the differential goes towards the person, the, par- the parent, right? The caregiver. So when we think of Mother Yashoda, how she takes care of Krishna, she's got this parental affection towards him, taking care of him, protecting him. 
you know, this is the month of Damodar, and we're reciting the prayers of the Damodarashikam. And all throughout the prayers, we can see that parental love for Krishna is demonstrated with each verse, right? Like, she chases after him, you know, after he steals the butter. She um, has a, you know, like a whipping stick. Like, she threatens, but she never actually hits him, right? That's very important for us to understand that she's kind of threatening um, physical, like, discipline, but she never actually goes through with it. And she gets a little frustrated, as a lot of parents do get frustrated with their kids. And so she thinks, how can I <clears throat> make sure that he's going to stay safe? Like, she feels that it's her job to keep Krishna safe and not get into trouble. So she tries to tie him up, right? And so this is the whole mood of this month of Karthik in which we're chanting these verses. It's in the parental affection, loving affection there. So you can see how it's a little bit more intimate than friendship, um, although friendship has, you know, the thing that's a little bit higher than parental is the equality there. Like there's that sense of equalness. And then finally we have um, conjugal love. This is intimate love. We can consider it romantic love. Um, it's seeing Krishna as a lover or as our beloved. And we see that, um, you know, Krishna names, in the verse there's named a few of his wives. We've got Rukmini, um, Satyabhama, Jambavati, and the 16,000 princesses res- rescued from Bhama Asura. So these are all his wives. That means they have a more intimate um, lover-type relationship with Krishna, with God. And we also see that with the gopis, that they're very, you know, there's also a sense of familiarity with the gopis um, as lovers of Krishna. They dance with him. They tease him. Um, they romantically embrace him. So there's these different levels of uh, love with Krishna. And the thing about conjugal love is that it, it actually contains a little bit of all the other types of love. So if we think of our relationships with our um, partners, with our significant others, then there's this idea of, you know, there's that lover's intimacy, but then there's also friendship in that. Um, so we have that level of friendship you know, in conjugal love. And we see that as well with um, Krishna and the gopis, you know, with Radharani. There's discussions. They talk. They tease each other. So there's that friendship as well. There's this, um, there's a little bit of nurturing, you know, taking care of each other. That's kind of similar to parental affection, right? We want to take care of the other person, protect them, make sure all their needs are met. And with the needs being met, that's more of a servitude, so we want to make sure that we're doing for the person, you know, service for the person. Um, there's there's a little bit of awe and reverence, too. We might have some admiration for that person, for the things that they do. Um, if somebody's, you know, doing a lot of great service, whether it's at the temple or at their job, we may have some admiration for, you know, if they're our partners. So with conjugal love, it's considered the highest form the most intimate, because it kind of, it contains all the other forms, and it goes a step above that as well. And then we also see a demonstration of the enemy 
um, relationship with Krishna, with Shishupal and Bhamasura. Um, we also read that Bhamasura kidnapped and held captive 16,000 princesses for his carnal pleasure. And I was thinking that, you know, we still see this go on today, this kind of activity of kidnapping women, um, even sometimes children and men, um, in the human sex trafficking industry. And we have thousands of thousands of people globally. This is a big problem. I was just looking up some of the statistics. Every year, an estimated 600 to 800,000, 600,000 to 800,000 men, women, and children are trafficked across international borders. And it may actually be higher. That's just kind of what we estimate because we don't know. Sometimes we don't know if a person's been kidnapped or um, taken into this industry um, and the trade is growing. Of this, you know, 600,000 to 800,000, 70% are female and 50% are children. It's very sad. Um, and the majority of these victims are forced into com- commercial sex trade. Um, this past weekend, I had the honor and privilege of visiting out a ranch out in East Texas that's owned by a friend of mine. She's actually a mentor and now like kind of a friend. Um, a few years ago, she uh, was living her life of her dreams, right? She'd always dreamed of having a big beach house on the beach in California. She had it custom built to her specifications, and she was just living her life. All of a sudden, she felt this calling that she needs to do more and that living this life wasn't enough. And some it's a really amazing story, but through some turn of events, she realized that she had to provide a safe place for people that are rescued from human sex trafficking industry. So she searched and she found this property in East Texas, this big ranch that was kind of going to work for that. And she created, like, um, a safe space, a haven for women to come in. She has a program. She's already a lifestyle um, coach and a business mentor and runs a very profitable um, business consulting firm, right? And one of her big things is everything is faith-based. So she always anchors everything into God and her faith. And she never does anything without praying and talking to, you know, just having a discussion with God as she um, realizes that. So she felt that God was telling her to create this um, safe space and using her skills and talents, she was, you know, able to create this program for rescued um, sex traffic workers to rehab and reintegrate into society so they learn to how you know they they're empowered to go from being a victim to being a survivor and thriving you know they have businesses um we even like we got to tour the facilities and see you know what she's doing there she even has um like different retreats for caseworkers and social workers and the people that are actually involved in helping to rescue because they can also feel burnout. So she's, you know, creating a, a place for them to come and rejuvenate and relax and and be able to be stronger in their in their work because it's very important. Um so one of these ladies 
came and she shared the first one because my friend, she also said she's never forced them to share their story. She doesn't want them to relive their trauma. But she also knew that there will be a person that will come and tell their story when they're ready. And this lady kind of came up to her and said, I would like to tell my story, you know, start to become um, an inspiration for other women that they can see that there is life after, you know, this horrendous thing that happened to them. And she said that one of the things that, you know, her captive did, one, she ran away from home when she was younger because her home life was horrible and her father kicked her out of the house. Um, And her father was an alcoholic. Her mother died of cancer. And so once her mother died, his alcoholism went worse and he you know, just took it out on her and then kicked her out of the house at a young age. And so then she was found by, you know, some predatory man who told her, I was, I'll take care of you, you know, come with me. And instead he plied her with drugs and put her into the sex trafficking industry. And, you know, he would keep all the girls that he had um, drugged up so that they couldn't uh, fight back or they wouldn't even think of anything else, right? They just think... We have a little bit of pleasure from these drugs. We're not in our right mind. And then they're able to, um, you know, take part forcibly, really, because it's through drugs. They didn't, if they weren't drugged up, they probably wouldn't do these things. But then the women that go through this, they, they don't know anything else. You know, they don't know how else to behave. And so they kind of get caught, and either they end up in jail or they end up dead. And um, she said that she realized that she was either going to end up in jail or end up dead. And she was driving one day, and, you know, she looked a mess. She had just gotten done working, and um, her drugs were just wearing off, and she ran into a hotel room to use the restroom. But instead, she heard beautiful singing, and she went, and there was like a church group that had a prayer meeting, and they were singing devotionals. And when they saw her, they immediately, you know, came and accepted her, and um, somebody gave her a Bible, and, you know, it was a really nice story showing how, like, God came into her life at the right moment. And then she said a few days later, she ended up in jail, and one of the things that, one of the ways that a lot of times these traffickers keep their women captive is to threaten them, like, if you tell on me, you're going to go to jail, too, because you're doing things that are wrong. You're taking drugs. You're doing prostitution. These things are illegal. So you're going to go into jail along with me. So she was in jail, and she's like, well, I'm already in jail, so I might as well talk. So she started telling, and she was able to break free from that. But she was like, what do I do now? You know, how do I? This is all I know. I mean, since a teenage girl, she's been doing this, right? So she found this. She looked up and on Google, and she found the ranch that I was talking about. And she applied, and she came through, and, you know, it's been a few years. She's now a, a um, very successful stylist, hairstylist, and has her own practice, her own business. Um, and she's really doing successful with that. She's also got, she's building another business of, you know, baking cookies so she's finding things that she loves, and she's able to, like, thrive. Now she's a functioning member of society. And she's considered fallen, as all of these women are, but then they're not really looking as 
themselves as fallen because now, you know, they've been rescued by God in some form or another. Just like the princesses were rescued from Balmasura by Krishna. And even though they're considered fallen, but because they're rescued by Krishna, they're no longer fallen. So we can see that Krishna even works in the same way now. And I was telling a friend of mine this story, and she said, oh, that she heard of a place up in Illinois that's very similar, right? So these places are popping up um, because the places are needed, right? So Krishna is providing, in some form or another, these safe rehab facilities that he can get his um, like hooks into the hearts of these women that have been very traumatized, and even men and children, you know. So I know I kind of went off on a little tangent there, um, but I wanted to conclude with this in, you know, in chapter two of Nectar of Devotion. It says, um, Srila Rupa Goswami says that actual auspiciousness means welfare activities for all people of the world. The Krishna consciousness movement, however, is so nice that it can render the highest benefit to the entire human race. Therefore, Rupa Goswami and other learned scholars agree that a broad propaganda program for the Krishna consciousness movement of devotional service all over the world is the highest humanitarian welfare activity. So even though these atrocious things are going on in the world, you know, that's just one of the atrocities that we can see happening. The animal industry is another level of atrocity that we see. What's happening to uh, Mother Earth is another level of atrocity, you know. And there's all these other atrocities that we commit to each other. Um, but w- when we take on this Krishna consciousness, or even God consciousness, even in this level of awe and reverence or servitude that we see in Christianity, when we have pure faith and love for God, even within any other religion, it's still a form of God consciousness, right? Krishna says, um, give up all forms of religion and just surrender unto me, unto God, right? So that is what we are looking to do with our Krishna consciousness movement, to spread this love of Krishna, of God. Um, I think, I don't have the exact quote, but Prabhupada has said that I've not come here to um, change anybody's religion, to convert anybody from Christianity to Hinduism. I've only come to give love of God. So whatever faith you practice, do that with full like full heart and mind and love and really incorporate that love of God into that relationship, into that faith. So then we want to look at what is our relationship to Krishna. You know, right now, we really have to get into the mindset of that on reverence and servitude. While our um, relationship to Krishna and the spiritual world, we have a unique and different relationship. And it may be conjugal. It may be parental. It may be love and affection um, and friendship. It could be, you know, as child or servant or some other form of that you know the neutrality on reverence but whatever it is we start with the on reverence because we have to realize that god is great that we are small and we are always under his control 
So we do that by pro- following the nine processes of devotional service, of which you know, hearing, chanting, um, speaking about him, remembering him, talking about his pastimes, reading about him, chanting our japa, chanting in kirtan. These things help us remember who we are in our relationship to him. But because we, we've kind of forgotten and it's, it's covered, we have to do it in a very regulated way. You know, we have to take part in um, following the four regulative principles, chanting our 16 rounds of Maha Mantra, spending time in mantra meditation, taking care to avoid the 10 offenses, until we reach that place where these things are actually spontaneous. Right? So it's that same thing where the activities that we are getting, we are doing to get to the goal is actually the goal, but in a different way, right? So we chant our rounds because we have to chant our rounds, but eventually we chant our rounds because we want to chant our rounds, and eventually we chant our rounds because we can't not chant our rounds, right? We can't not chant the glories of Krishna. We can't not talk about him and feel love for him. And so that's what we're going for. I don't have, again, the exact... Quote, but I know I've heard my spiritual master talk about, um, Tamal Krishna Goswami talk about that our, our relationship to Krishna will be revealed in time. But in the meantime, we just have to focus on that we're servant of the servant of the servant, that we're servant of our spiritual master. Um, and through our spiritual master, we are servant of his spiritual master, and then servant of his spiritual master, and then eventually servant of God. So we think of ourselves as fallen, of, as um, needing Krishna's protection, needing his grace and mercy. Um, and we work in such a regulated way until we can come to the spontaneous. We can't pretend like, oh, it's spontaneous and we don't have to practice the love, you know, because love is spontaneous and you can't, you know, condition yourself to love someone, you know, especially God. But actually, we have to. Even actually, even on a material level, we're learning so much about how to love each other and spend time with each other and do it in a unconditional way. Otherwise, we're always thinking of what can this person do for me? You know, how, I'll only love this person if they do this, right? So it's conditional. We make it transactional. So we have to learn how to love each other even in that way. And there's so many, you know, coaches and gurus and lifestyle um, coaches that talk about how we can find that love within ourselves, that it doesn't matter if the other person loves us back or not, we still have love for that person. And that doesn't come spontaneously. That comes with practice. That comes with intention. Otherwise, our spontaneous love is conditional at this moment. You know, we only love Krishna if he fulfills our, our prayers and our wishes. You know, we only love someone else, our significant other, if they make us feel good and they do things for us. So in the meantime, we have to focus on our regulated practice of chanting, um, following the four regulative principles until we come to that point. So I'll stop here and ask if there are any questions or comments.
Hare Krishna. Uh, so there is a parallel between how Krishna rescued those 16,000 women and the way you, your friend's activity. She is a faith-based, God-based um, charity operation. And she's rescuing again uh, through the mercy of God, the power of God. So it's like almost exact parallel. So it's not that Krishna <laughs> has disappeared uh, 5,000 years ago, but his potency is still working today. And uh, also thought it very interesting that when that young lady, she was going to the uh, hotel or restaurant, and then she heard that uh, singing, uh, the gospel music singing. So that's, and that, that triggered in her the change, wanting to change. So the momentary association with uh, saintly people can just bring out so much change in their life. And the opposite is also true. Momentary association with bad people can take us down like uh, Bhamasura. He's a son of Varaha and Mother Earth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, one cannot get more exalted birth than that. The son of Varaha and Bhumi. Yeah. And in the beginning, he was nice, a good person, uh, just like Ajamil in the beginning was a, a good person, but then he fell down. So Bhauma came in contact with Bana, which is Bana Sura, and then he became very degraded. Yeah. So the association works both ways. If one has good association, one can go from where to where, whereas uh, no matter how t- elevated one's position is, uh, bad association can bring oneself really low and eventually he was killed by Krishna Bhamasura. So exactly. I thought that parallel was very nice between how Krishna rescued 16,000 women and the, how uh, the, these women are still being rescued uh, and, and the people who are kidnapping these women or putting them into this tra- sex trafficking they are exactly like Bhamasura is a, is a yeah, so both aspects are still there. The Boma is still today and Krishna is still there. Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna, thank you. Yes, I I don't know why like that thought came to me, maybe because I just visited the ranch and I was thinking about it, but the moment I saw that sentence, I was like, whoa, this is still happening, yeah. Um, but also, you know, even Shishupal had bad association. I mean, he's actually Krishna's cousin, right? So, I mean, there's no reason why he should feel um, animosity towards Krishna, but it's because of his association with Jarasandha. But I heard that Tishupal right from the birth, the first word he uttered was something cursing towards Krishna. Well, it was I that like Tishupal was born with extra arms and extra eyes, and it was prophesied that um, the person who would cure him from this would also kill him. And when Krishna went to visit his cousin, and Shishupal was placed in his lap. Immediately, the extra arms and the eyes went away. And so then, it was known that Krishna would kill Shishupal. But again, you know, just like Maharaj Parikshit, knowing he was going to die, came and surrendered and said, let me learn all about God. What is the meaning of life? What do I have to do to perfect my life? You know, Shishupal, and even Kamsa could have said the same thing, right? Like, Right? But instead, Jarasandha raised, like Sushupal was kind of like his adopted son, right? Mentor. You know, Sushupal considered Jarasandha his father. And Jarasandha was under Kamsa's camp, so he had animosity towards Krishna, and he taught him that animosity. Right? 
But then we also see that Prahlad Maharaj, despite being taught animosity from Hiranyakashipu, was also Shishupal, right? Shishupal is Hiranyakashipu in a previous life, and he's Ravana in a previous life. But because of that, um, just pure bhakti being taught the Srimad Bhagavatam in the womb by Narada Muni, that he was protected from the negative. So really, at any time, we can learn from this that it's our choice. Yes, we can come into bad association. You know, yes, we can come into good association. But we still have to make that choice for ourselves, how we're going to proceed. You know, even with good association, we can see people make their own choices, maybe from past karma, from past lives, from past desires, right? And so, yeah. Yeah, and in other religions, they uh, give up to maybe Shantarasa and uh, Dasyarasa, the neutrality uh, connection in with Krishna or the Supreme in the mood of neutrality or unreverence. But only in the Vedic scripture they take you beyond that, which is Sakya, Vatsalya, and Madhurya. Yeah, it's true. It's only those two that's um, there. And in Christianity, when you talk to a Christian, they have those kind of feelings of of love, um, more personal towards Jesus, right? Because he's their spiritual master. Just like in some ways we have more affection and love for Srila Prabhupada and our spiritual master because we know them a little bit more. Um, and they're the ones that are teaching us about God. Uh, there is that. And then I've also seen, like, sometimes if people become a little familiar with God and they kind of talk about him as a friend, it's more of a um, derogatory way. It's not with the respect. It's kind of like... So yeah. Yeah. Cheaply. Yeah, exactly. So they'll be like... Hey, what up, bro? Right? Like, yeah, it's fun to talk to, think you can talk to God like that. But we also have to have this level of respect. Like, we still have respect for our friends, even though we may be equals and peers. You know, we don't have this, um, we wouldn't want to have denigrating relationships where we're punching down on them or, or, you know, looking down on someone. Um, so a lot of times it's said more facetiously to kind of, um, bring down the greatness of God. So you'll see people refer him to, to him more familiarly. Familiarly, But we really want to do it <clears throat> in a way that's more loving and respectful. And we each have our relationship. So, you know, we can't say as, especially as Rupanuga Bhaktis, like we're followers of Rupa Goswami. You know, we always chant, like, when will Srila Rupa Goswami take us under his um, wings, basically? And let us serve the mission of Lord Chaitanya. So, and um, his mood is that we have to really look at these relationships, and the highest is conjugal love. Um, so, in the most technical terms, the conjugal love is is what we're looking for as rupanugas. But really, it's any of the more intimate relationships, whether it's friendship, parental, right? So. In our sampradaya, anything up to the conjugal is available, right? Just like in the restaurant, is a buffet. Anything is available, you know, it's up to individual's uh, dedication and how much price one wants to pay. Exactly. In terms of sadhana. Exactly. In terms of our regulated practice.
All right, so we'll end here. Tadantra Shimad Bhagavatam Ki Jai.